Sorry to break up your Holy Spirit-filled testimony conversations I'm sure you're having. Sorry, do you feel guilty now? They're still talking about their testimony over there. See, if I was in my Anglican church, I would say, the Lord be with you. And everybody would just wake up and say, and, and also with you. Let's do that again. The Lord be with you. Jeez, see? See? Take that one home. No, but it's really good to be back here with you guys. Um, this morning, this afternoon, what is it? It's quarter past 12. So good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I feel like this is probably my sixth home. I'm here a few times a year whenever Marina invites me over for something. Um, my name's Adam Boyce, as you've been told. Um, you've heard about what I do in my day job. Um, I worship um, at an evangelical, I stress, an evangelical Anglican church um, in Tottenham. I've been there for 13 years. That's the church that, whose website I found and I, I, I got saved and I, I haven't left there since, even though I leave there sometimes um, for work. Um, this morning we're going to be taking a look at um, a chapter in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, um, where we read how God showed up for his people. Um, when they were faced with this impossible obstacle God came through for them and it took trust and it took faith um, and I think brothers and sisters we've seen this morning um, that God has shown up God is here with us this morning and I really felt that in the worship and even speaking about it now is choking me up so I'm going to try and get through this as a man who doesn't cry now I do cry I was crying my eyes out at the back there I hope none of you noticed but no the Holy Spirit really is here this morning and the Holy Spirit is leading us um, and we thank God for that. Shall we, shall we pray as I begin? Creator God, we thank you um, for this morning, for this moment in time that you have us here. Lord, we thank you for um, the 15-year history of this, this, this people who meet here week in, week out. And Lord, as we learn about the Israelites and their movement, um, we thank you for the movement of this family of, of God and the various buildings you've had them in um, before they reached here, um, their current home. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of us being able to be here freely just to worship you openly, um, without fear or without malice or without persecution. And Lord, let us not take that for granted, um, even as we sit here today. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my Lord and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever I've been faced with a period of change or challenge in my life, um, it always bring, reminds me of the Israelites crossing the Jordan, um, being at the river. Um, and it was Joshua, um, not Moses, um, that led the Israelites out of the wilderness and across the Jordan. So before we see what's happening in our main text, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 3. Let's... Um, see how Joshua ended up finishing what Moses started. So in Numbers um, chapter 2, um, we read, Now there was no water. Forgive me, I know you guys do the ESV. I'm an NIV guy. So you're, you're, you're having an NIV this week. You're having, the, you're having a proper translation this week. Um, <laughs> take it out of the tape. Don't make Pastor Robin F from here. That. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, 
Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we, our livestock, should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It's got no jollof rice, it's got no patties, it's got no supermorts, it's not even got any government water. Or government juice, as my my mum used to call it. Um, Whoa. Let me put that somewhere else. And I was paraphrasing there. It doesn't really say supermort. There was no water. There was in the hot desert, hot desert water. It's not good. It's not a good mix. And surprise, surprise, the Israelites, they start to moan and they start to grumble. And so Moses and Aaron, they go to, um, they go to the tent to, to God and they bring God's people's moaning to God. And we read here, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord which is half yellow and half white for some reason, appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before they rise and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Simple things, you'd think. Simple to-do list that God gave to Aaron and Moses. Take the staff, you and Aaron gather my people Speak to the rock in front of their eyes and the water's going to come out. Didn't quite go like that. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Hold on, that, that, God didn't say to them, God didn't tell him to cuss them. But I think Moses, and, and he can, let's see what he does afterwards. Um, then Moses raises his, his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. That wasn't in the to-do list. So Moses, I think, and when, when we was on our, our, our um, link-up, um, other people call it a camp, but we don't camp, we link up with the young people two weeks ago. One of the young um, boys, Israel, he put his hand up, he said, oh, I know what happened. I said, what? He said, Moses gassed himself. <laughs> And I'm like, all my training at LCM, all my years of reading the Bible, and a 15-year-old boy called Israel just summed up that passage in a sentence. Moses gassed himself. He did. He puffed up his chest. He, he gassed himself. And he thought, let me lick the rock. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going off my script here. I shouldn't do that. Um, but he, you know, he, he didn't do what God asked him to do. Um, and that's why... Uh, Moses didn't end up in the, in the promised land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough, honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, my people, you will not bring the community into the land that I give them. And as I always say to my children, every action has a reaction, every reaction has a consequence. And you notice it happened, the water came out, so the the, 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 the the reaction was the same. God's people got water, which I could do now, but I'll take some in a minute. Um, but there was a, the consequence was different. If they had done what God told them to do, how God told them to do it, there wouldn't have been a consequence. But I'd like to think this is all, it was all part of God's plan, um, and Joshua was always uh, meant to lead them. And I'm just trying to find where I am. And just before Moses died, um, God took him up to the top of the mountain. Um, Mount Nebo, and he showed him um, the whole land from north to south, from east to west, 
Um, and he said, this is the land promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you're not crossing over into it. God's like, you thought I was joking, innit? <laughs> but like, it reminds me of my mum when she used to punish me. Um, and she said, right, that's it, you're not going to Uncle's Barbecue. And I'm, I'm going back to when I was like eight or nine years old, when it meant something to me not to go to Uncle's Barbecue. Because <laughs> you know when you're big, you don't really care. Like, even even Jaden, <laughs> bless him, he... Um, <laughs> He said, are we going to Ecclesia? I'm like, yeah. He said, oh, what time do they start? And he knows what time they start. He knows where you lot are. He's been there before. Um, so when you're that age, you, you want to stay home by yourself. But anyway, so it reminds my mum. Like, <laughs> I like you wanted to stay home. So it, but it reminds my mum, like, said so she would punish me and say, right, that, because she knows I used to love family gatherings. When I was in primary school, family gatherings were the one. Barbecues, you hang out with your cousins. But then you get to a certain age where you and your cousins just want to go off. You don't want to be around the big people. So when I was in primary school, it was... <laughs> oh, so you still don't want to be around big people. Okay. Some of us, some of us need to grow up. <laughs> Where was I? My mum punishment. So she, yeah, she would punish me and say, right, you're not coming to uncle's barbecue. And then between the time when she punished me and, and then the day of the barbecue, Everything's nice again. Like we're running joke, everything's back to normal. So then mum starts getting ready, so I start getting ready. <laughs> thinking, oh, mum's, everything's nice now, isn't it? It's fine. And then you're propagating, you're getting ready. And back then you didn't have mobile phones. So I, 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 I think I would have watched that my cousin and say, oh, I'm coming, I'm bringing my phone. And then it comes to the stage when you're leaving, and mum's like, where are you going? I'm like, Uncle Barbecue, I'm ready. Like, but already we're going to, now boy, don't you remember, I told you two weeks ago, you're not coming to this barbecue. Yeah, and she'd done the dance for me. But that's like what it was with God. He's like, you thought I was joking. You're not getting into the promised land. You disobeyed me. You didn't let, and the serious consequence was, the reason why God said, go to the people, speak to the rock, so that the water will pour out, it's because if I speak to this boat and say, pour, pour into my mouth, because I'm first, I'm genuinely really thirsty right now. It's the coming, it's not going to happen. It's only going to happen if God makes it happen. Amen. So what they did was there, was, there was the opportunity, another opportunity for God's people to be shown that God is miraculous, God is all, is all powerful, God can do anything he wants, including letting a dry rock pour water. But as Israel said a couple of weeks ago, they, you know, he gassed himself up, he, he hit the rock, and that put the onus from God onto Moses, and yeah, he lost the plot, and the consequence was him not getting in, into the promised land. So Moses comes within sight of the promised land, and then he dies, and in his final speech um, to the Israelites, he appoints Joshua to be the person that is going to lead, is going to succeed him and lead the Israelites into the promised land. Uh, can you imagine being in... Um, Joshua's shoes, how do you follow in the footsteps of Moses? I mean, this is Moses. Like, this is the guy that sort of would walk up a mountain and chat to God and just jam with him and come back down and you can't look at his face because he's been in the presence of God. You know, he was given the tablet, of the, 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 the commandments on it. He was an Egyptian prince. Like, this is a big man in God's game. How does Joshua come along you know, who was his AD. He was like one of his sidesmen. He was an important sidesman, though, not like in the context that we would probably use the term sidesman, because uh, Moses would put him in charge of, of loads of, loads of like, like a big chunk of his army and send him out into battle. That's how much he trusted Joshua. 
But Joshua has kind of grown up seeing Moses as the leader and thinking that Moses is going to be the leader forevermore, not knowing that Moses is going to flop in however many years' time and that he's going to end up suddenly find himself leading probably around 100,000 Israelites. So at this, moment, at this point in time, the Israelites, God's chosen people, have grown from 70-odd, way back then in the Bible, to around 100,000. They've just multiplied and multiplied. We see it in, um, in Exodus. They just, they just multiplied. The more they're oppressed, the more, the more they multiply. The more God's people, people grow. And so I can, I can kind of relate to, to both of their scenarios. Um, there's no boast in this, but uh, last um, April, I think it was, um, at our church council, annual church council meeting, I, I, I went to church to go to that meeting as usual. And there was a situation sort of brewing at the time. And, and God told me to fill out a form to, to, to nominate myself to be, the, to be the church warden. And church wardens, for those of you that don't know anything about the Anglican church, Good, good for you. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I love the Anglican Church. I'm joking. I'm joking. Go, go. Stop. So because this is recorded. Do you guys edit things out of your? No. All right. I need to give I need to give Rob a brown envelope when I see him. Um, no, but church wardens. They they they're basically the, the the bishops' offices in the church, and they're in normal times they're there to to support. They're like senior elders, where they're they're the, they're the council for the, the vicar to sort of advise him and support him or her in the Anglican church. Um, but in this particular time, our vicar had been suspended for two years. Um, so when the vicar's suspended, or we have, or there isn't a vicar, the church wardens run the church. So anyway, so I found myself being elected as one of the two church wardens. Um, with, within about six weeks, the other church wardens resigned. Um, I'm not going to go into why, but it, there, was, there was lots of enemy attacks going on um, at the time. Um, myself and other people in the church, other people in the team. Um, and so I found myself as the only church warden leading this Anglican church on a corner in Tottenham with about 140, 150 people coming every week, um, with a, a buildings, with a budget, and, and, and I was like, hold on, I just went to church that Sunday to go to my church council meeting. I filled in a form because you led me to fill in this form to stop this, 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 this attack that was happening. And, and I thought, cool, there's going to be two of us, and then this, the, other, the other guys left. I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> this, wasn't in my, this wasn't in my script. Um, and so, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't the only person there. There's a, there's a, there's, we've got a full-time youth worker, we've got two lay ministers, a treasurer. There's a team, but the buck stopped a lot of the time with me. I had people ask me questions about stuff that I didn't even know existed in the church. And I was supposed to be giving them, and I was supposed to know the answer. Why don't you know the answer? You are the church warden, and the only church warden. And I found myself, I'm not going to lie, hitting the rock. More than once hitting the rock. Because... I was just focusing on, on, on getting it, and there was no malice in it. There was no, it was always with good intentions, but you know when you're just focused on getting the job done, and, and, and when you're under pressure, and, and you, you've, got, you've got, you know, people are relying on you making decisions, and this could be in work, school, church, family, you know, when people are relying on you to make decisions, sometimes you just want to do it the quick way. Um, and I, and I, was, I was hitting the rock, and, and the, the outcome was the same, same with the rock and the water, but the consequences of it, there was relationships that were, that were frayed. There, were, you know, there was meetings that weren't going well. There was um, you know, things that were happening that wouldn't have happened if I had done, gone about it in a different way. Um, 
but I was just focused on getting the job done. And, and often when I look back, even now, a few things have, have popped into my mind. You know, I wish that um, I'd have gone with God with those decisions. And I'd, I'd gone the long route. Um, like just making a decision to change something, knowing that if I'd have sat down and met with people and had a long, drawn-out conversation about it, we would have got to the same conclusion because it was right, and I felt led to change that. But you've got to consult people, you've got to make people feel like they're involved, because I know what it feels like to be on the other end of it when somebody just makes a decision and you're just cut out of it. Um, yeah. So it was an unexpected learning curve in, in leadership for me that... Um, I wasn't ready for at all. Um, and a little did I know that God was preparing me. And again, there's no boasting this. This is part of, part of the narrative, honestly. Um, but little did I know God was preparing me for another challenge. And then so in the midst of me being the only church warden, this Anglican church uh, with a suspended vicar who finally then resigned, um, but was still living in the vicarage. So you can imagine that situation was just toxic. Um, for, for many reasons, even just for practical sort of logistical reasons, before you even get into the reasons why. Um, then come September, um, I, I, as I said, I work in Dagenham and Tottenham. The team in Dagenham, the person that was supposed to be leading it, is off, was off sick long term. I'm asked by the team leader down there to sort of lead the team and get this new centre up and running because it's being renovated. And I'm like, no, that's, that's that. Again, I'm like, what? No, that's, that's not... I'm, I've got this to do. In, and so what I'm doing at my home church in Tottenham wasn't technically part of my LCM work because I was just doing it as a member of the church, like you, you guys do, you know. Um, so God has got me again in this position of leadership that I didn't ask for, didn't really want at the time because I already got, I already got all the stuff going on at my home church. But God was preparing me for that role that, I, that I'm now doing, I've been doing now for the last year. Um, I wasn't ready for it, but God was ready for me. And I think Joshua wasn't ready to lead the Israelites, but God was ready for Joshua. It was God's timing, not mine, not Joshua's. Um, and in Joshua chapter 1, um, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous because you are going to lead these people. You're going to lead my people. And God knew that he wouldn't have been feeling strong, wouldn't be feeling courageous. I couldn't imagine standing 100,000 people. That's like the whole of Tottenham. And suddenly I'm leading the whole of Tottenham into God knows what. But in, in chapter 2, oh, there's a slide missing there. In chapter 2, Joshua sent two spies into the land um, to, check, to check it out. And they, um, they escaped being discovered by the, the, the ruler of the land's um, people because Rahab, because Rahab hid them. And we all know the story. Then they return and give their support, uh, their report to their new commander in chief, Joshua. Um, and that brings us to. Joshua chapter 3. And if I was at my home church, I'll be getting looks now to wrap up, but you guys are good, aren't you? Like, whew. No, are we good? Are we good? <laughs> um, so that brings us to the... <laughs> Moraine, I didn't know you snored. <laughs> now, that brings us to Joshua chapter 3. And um, the Israelites, they've had a tough time in the wilderness. Um, and after all of that, God has brought them to the edge of this river. And timing's important. Um, let's skip, we're going to skip forward a little bit um, in Joshua chapter 3 to verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. So the, the, the point in time where God has brought them to this river is when it's at flood stage during the harvest. And we need to bear in mind that this wasn't just the end of their 40-year journey um, to get to this point where they're going to get into the promised land. 
This is the fulfillment of 700 years of promise that God made to Abraham. This moment by this river, God could have had them brought, to, brought into this river to cross at any time, but he chose when it was in flood stage. And normally it's not hard to cross the River Jordan. It's probably about 90 feet wide. It's probably about three feet deep. Even children or big children could probably, not my children, but some children could probably try it. Um, but at the time, when God wanted them to cross, as I said, it was in flood stage. And in flood times, it becomes a mile wide. So that, that's like from here to the furthest end of Broccoli. I think it's about a mile four. So maybe the, 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 this end of Broccoli. But it, it, it's wide. A mile is a long, is a long distance. Um, and all the waters from the, 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 the sort of snow-capped mountains in the distance have melted and are flowing down into this river. And it's just this big flowing river. And it's about 12 feet deep in some places. Um, I don't know if the air yeah, did get going. So this, this, is, this is the River Jordan, in, obviously in modern times, because they didn't have HD cameras back then. Um, but they, I, think, I don't know if this was a flood. I just Googled River Jordan flood, and this is what came up. That's just a glimpse of the River Jordan, small, normal River Jordan, but in, in modern times. So could you imagine it being a, a mile wide and 12 foot deep, um, and it's raging like that? And God has got the Israelites at the edge of this river, and they know they've got to cross this river to get to the other side. There's no other way across it. And if you try and cross it when it's at flood stage, it's going to be filled with trees and debris and, and, and cars. And, and no, this, in this day and age, it would be. But it's going to be filled with, with loads of stuff. Imagine Hurricane Katrina when you just saw water and submerged houses and cars and stuff. Back then, there will be loads of debris and it will be raging. And if you get into it like that, it, you're going to go with the tide. And you, you're not going to last long. And for some of us here today... We might, some of us might be facing our own raging Jordan. God might be telling you to move on to something new, um, or you might be in the midst of fighting an illness or caring for somebody who's fighting an illness, or you could have some troubles in a relationship um, with a relative or a loved one, and you're wondering how um, can you get over this? How can you get through this? Or God might be telling you to take something to a, a new level in your marriage or relationship, in your parenting. I've got five children. Um, my youngest is off into year six. My second, my youngest daughter is going into year 11, so she's in G, G, pre-GCSE mode. My eldest son, Jaden, has just finished his GCSEs, so he's going off into college. My second eldest child, second oldest daughter, um, she didn't do too well on her A-levels, but she's been um, working ever since last year when she when she stopped studying. Um, she knows she wants to do something more, but she doesn't know what. So she's kind of in that no man's land of what do I do? Where do I go? What direction? Don't really want to go uni. Um, so she's sort of camping by the river at the moment. And then my oldest daughter's just moved to Holland and she's starting her master's in September. So even just in my parenting life, I feel like there's some rivers that, 
potentially could get to flood stage. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, God, um, you've got me here again. Jaden, have a good year, please. <laughs> I'm sure we can, a lot of, if you're parents, or even if you're a big sister or an aunt or an uncle, I'm sure you can, you can relate to, to that, just having all these plates to juggle. And then the enemy comes along and just shakes it. And then another, one of your children come along and shakes it as well. Um, yet, <laughs> sometimes we're our own worst enemies. I'm a firm believer in that. It could be in your career or studies or, or, you know, or maybe your involvement in church. It's funny what Bertrude was saying about joining the church council. Because on my script, I have. Or maybe your involvement at church. You know, maybe God is calling you to serve a bit deeper here. Um, try something new. Um, if you've never done the sound before, but you're suddenly finding yourself doing the sound or the AV, it can be daunting. Um, and you might be telling yourself, and God, but the time's not right. Why now? I remember when I first um, started London City Mission, it was six years ago now, I think. I can't believe how quickly that's gone. Um, within two months, we found out that my mother's cancer had come back, and it was terminal. And then I got ill myself, and so I was trying to concentrate on this, and I hadn't seen my mum for about eight years because our relationship was torn up, sort of not there. And, but then when I do meet her, she's got terminal cancer, so you can imagine that is just mad. And I've become ill, and I was like, really, God? Like, literally two months after I've started working in full-time ministry for you, you have me here. But I got through it. Yeah, I've got five amazing children. I've got the most amazing friends, most of them. Um, <laughs> and, and I've got a friend. No, I love Morena dearly, I do. Despite what I hear about her, I love her dearly. Um, and I got through it. Um, and you might have something like that in your life right now. You know, that you're asking God the same question, really, now? But if God says it's your time, it's your time. If he calls you, he's going to equip you and he's going to lead you because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. So that's the scene anyway. Joshua has led the Israelites to the edge of the Jordan. There's a flowing violent river. Um, they're called to do something at the completely wrong time. And so let's look at the first chunk of passage. Uh, verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from and went to the Jordan, I can't say that word, there's no children's school today, I can't say that word, um, but they set out from that place and went to the Jordan, <laughs> I even had to put a little, little asterisk, see, God led me to an asterisk, you know, I didn't know there was no children's church, but I, 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 yes, <laughs> that's for the adults, and went to the Jordan, where they camped before the crossing, before crossing over, and the first thing they do is stop camp and they wait. And you'd think logically, why after all these years, why after 40 years, has God got them camping and waiting? And why another three days? The Bible tells us that they spent the next three days there, and the passing flooding river probably was just shattering their confidence. Literally, like God has got them at the point where they're facing probably the worst fear in that moment in time. Because their so ancestors or their, 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 their forefathers would have, they got to a river or a sea and Moses lifted up his staff, parted, we all know the story. That's not this, that's not this situation. God's got them at a violent, raging river. 
and you know the waiting probably sort of pounded the reality of the situation back to the Israelites. You could probably hear, you know, over the fires at night, the doubts. Um, maybe the strong among us can brave this flood. But how are we going to get the children across? And what about the sick? What about the elderly? What about the, the, the disabled? What about all our possessions that are strapped to, to wagons? This, this constant no, 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 no is going to be forming in their hearts as they listen to the roar of that river. And I guess it's easy for us to, to relate to that emotion um, and the thoughts of, of the Israelites in that moment. So many of us face our own personal Jordans, you know, that feel so permanent, they feel so powerful that we don't even try and make it across the river. Much just think how we go into, how is God going to do this? You know, our lives can be, oh, I put it on right, that just got really loud. It's on properly now. Our lives can feel, you know, stalled. Stuck on the wrong side of God's promises. You know, we read in the Bible about the abundant life, you know, that God offers, offers, offers and has for us. But at times it, it can just feel like we can't make it out of the wilderness. God had them camping on the edge of the Jordan in front of this violent river that they just thought they couldn't cross. And when they looked over the river, it gets worse. What's over the other side of the river? It's not the Garden of Eden. <laughs> you know, it's not that time in the Bible. Across, across the river is Jericho, this fortified city. You see, God didn't want them and doesn't want us to just charge off into the future, just charge off into a situation. He wants us to stop, wait, and think. On the other side of that river were some really scary, horrible things. And the river's in flood mode. There's some cruel people waiting for them on the other side of the river. They've got massive chariots, and there was even rumors of giants in the land. But God wants us to face our fears. And I, 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 don't, know if you, I don't know if somebody found out what I was speaking on today, and, 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 but the, the songs to this morning just... Wow. Wow. God wants us to face our fears and to face our problems so that we can allow him to become bigger in our sight. The point of them stopping was to reflect on what it is that they had to do. You know, to let the size of God be magnified so that they would lose their fears and just fix their eyes on God. God turned a no way into a highway. The big question that loomed over the camp of Israel I guess, and, and I guess that looms over our lives today is, will we walk by sight or are we going to walk by faith? Do we really believe that God can handle the impossible? We need to face our fears. I am um, <coughs> 40, 40 later this year. <coughs> oh, water. No, I'm nearly, I'm nearly 40. Now I'm not, I'm not ashamed. That I, I, the one age I've wanted to reach in life is 40. God, for the whole of my life, I've been hearing everybody say, life begins at 40. Life begins at 40. Apart from my uncle who said, life begins at 40, then he moaned all his way to 60. So I pray that I, pray I, don't, reach that, I, pray I don't reach that stage in my life. But, um, so I'm 39, and I've never flown before. Get it out. Yes, I know. I've never, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I've never flown before. Never flown before. And when people find out that I've got my dad's family from Wales, my mum's family's from Trinidad, 
Oh, have you ever been to Trinidad? No. Oh, where's, where you been then? Oh, nowhere. Oh, you've never flown. <laughs> I'm like, no, I haven't. But I have now. But so anyway, so I, last week, uh, Monday, I took my youngest daughter to see my eldest daughter in Holland. Um, it was my youngest daughter's birthday, and it was a surprise, and I bought the tickets and regretted booking the tickets because it meant I actually had to fly. Um, anyway, so we got to the airport, we're there, and we've got to customs, border force, whatever they call it, and put everything in the tray. This is all exciting for me because I've never done it before. Tray's gone down, my daughter's picked up her stuff, and I don't know, it's my trays over there. I'm like, oh, you keep laughing. You know, you'll know why he's laughing. <laughs> Grace. Um, so anyway, so my stuff's over there. I'm like, why is my stuff? And my daughter's like, why is your stuff over there? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And then there's this man with gloves on. And he's going through my things. And he's taking out my clothes. And, and it was a Ryanair flight, so I've got this little sports bag that I borrowed off of Jaden. Um, and so it's, I've crammed four days' worth of things into this bag. And I've never had a strange man with gloves on going through my boxers. I'm sorry. I, 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 it, that in, just that in and of itself, was he even behaving? I'm like, why is he doing that? So anyway, when I stop fixing on that, I'm realizing this guy's going through my stuff and he's got this, and I've seen nothing to declare in them programs. You know, this guy's got this wand in his hand and he's swabbing my bag. And so I'm looking at my daughter, like, and she's looking at me like, and she's looking at the man, I'm looking at the man, so we're having this conversation with our eyes, like, <laughs> what is going on here? And anyway, so he swabbed it, he puts it in the machine, and he looks serious. When I say he looks short, no, uh, God bless you guys, if, if there's any short people here, God loves you. But he was short, and, and, and he was not my size. And so he didn't look intimidating. If we walked past on the street, all right, yeah. But in that moment, in that uniform with that wand, and he's, he keeps on testing my bag, and it keeps on going red. I'm like, no, what is going on here? I'm waiting for, who remembers Jeremy Beadle? Come on, there's got to be some people that generation. Right, I'm waiting for somebody like that to pop out. And, ha, 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 your first flight. <laughs> Nobody popped out. So then my daughter wanted us to bring this cup over for her. And she kept pens in it on her dressing table, and she wanted us to bring it over with the pens in it, but I didn't think she wanted the pens, so I emptied the pens out. It's just this empty cup. She wasn't happy when we got there. But anyway, so there's this cup, and he, he looks at what was in here. I'm like, rah, for sure, man, your voice, you've got a bit of bass in your voice. <laughs> and I was, I was even more nervous. You know when you don't expect it? Like, what was in here? And, but in that moment, I thought, now, do you know, this man's an idiot, because you can, you see... But I, I kept it in my head because I've seen them programs, nothing to declare. I've seen that door over there that they take guys to, to do a search. And I'm like, not today, Satan, not on my first flight. I ain't going to that room. So I've kept it in my head. In my head, I'm thinking, you're an idiot. But I said to him, look, I said, pens, you can see the ink on the bottom of the, t on the, bottom of the cup. Okay, puts it down. He's swapping. At this point, I thought, now, do you know what? What's going on here? I said to him, mate, is there a problem? He said, yeah, I've found traces of explosives in your bag. God, that's my, sorry, I'm an Anglican. God, that's my witness. The man said he's found traces of explosives in my bag. And as he said that, his supervisor's come over. He's handed, he's handed her a form and this sample thing, and she's taken it off to do this thing. And, 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 and this is all happening within seconds, but it felt like hours. 
And she's, she's come back and she said, I, I said, well, what, what do you mean traces of explosives? Like, what? And it's so funny because when I was on the phone to my daughter um, earlier that day, or the day before, I, I made a joke about, oh, please take this out of the tape. I made the j joke about Semtex. And, I, and, I, and I, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to scream Semtex when I go through customs and say, free Trinidad. And I, <laughs> God's got a sense of humor, you know. But I, obviously, I didn't do it. But... In that, in that moment, I thought, no, nah, this is you, isn't it, God? This is you, teach me. Don't make a joke about Semtex and Trinidad <laughs> and customs. So anyway, the woman said to me, she said, she said um, yeah, we found traces, but she said it can be anything. It could be battery fluid, it could be household cleaner, it could be bleach. There was a, a minuscule trace. And do you know what? Before that happened, right, I'm going to be honest with you, Jaden, and, and, and you guys. God knows my heart. You know thoughts go around in your head, I'm like... What has my daughter been keeping in that cup when she was at uni in Cambridge? What have they, what trace, this is before they told me it's explosives. Trace or what? <laughs> and then when he was satisfied it wasn't the cup, and I'm looking at the bag and I'm thinking, it's the bag. I'm like, what does this boy use this bag for? <laughs> what heathenness has this boy got me caught up in? And I'm thinking, I mean, we, he lives in between Tottenham and Crouch End, so he's got Tottenham and he's got Crouch End. You know, in between the two, what is he running with this bag? I'm sorry. <laughs> what is he running with this bag? Now, time's going. I haven't even started. Sorry. Uh, my, my time's going. Um, anyway, it was bleach. But it's funny because in that moment, this is where it comes back to my talk, in that moment, any fear I had for the flight, gone. Gone, like, put me on the plane, keep the doors open. I was fine with flying. Because at that moment, for about a minute or two or five, I was like, they found explosives in my bag, my son's bag. And I can't say, oh, it's my 16-year-old it's my son's bag, he lent it to me. They ain't going to have that. I was so scared. We need to face our fears. And I face my fear of flying, and now I love flying. And it's so funny... My daughter, who's she's been, to, she's been to Jamaica, she's been to Spain, she's been, she was scared on the plane. She's like, oh, don't worry, I'm with you, you'll be fine. On the plane, she was scared. Same prayers I didn't even know she could say. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, this is lovely. When it's going up, I'm like, oh, this is a great, great feeling. And she's like, <laughs> we need to face our fears. The next thing God asked them to do was to take a step back and... We read in our next passage, after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you must break camp and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. And most of us read this passage and we think, oh, the Ark, it's holy. Um, don't go near it. And that's right, that, that was true. But I think it's also not about ho just about holiness. It's about perspective. Because when you step back and you see the bigger picture of a situation, of a challenge, of a massive problem, of an immigration issue, customs issue, you know, you realise it's not all about me. You see everyone who's in, it, who's in it with you. But you don't see when you're up close. You've got to take a step back. You know, you see the things that other people are facing in that same situation with you, but they're facing things from a different perspective. They're feeling the pain from a different perspective because that's their perspective. And you realise you're not alone in this as well. 
And if you really, you know, if you really don't have anyone in your life right now, not a single person who is helping you in a situation that you're in, whatever it might be, you have God. And, you know, you plus God equals two. Already, you're in the majority over the enemy. Amen. I lie? Amen. Let's do the maths there. The enemy's on his own. But you plus God is two. I didn't go well in maths at school. So picture the scene. That all, of the, all of Israel are there encamped on this slope, on this hill beside the River Jordan. Um, the ark is about a thousand yards um, from them. Everyone in the nation would be able to see it. The priests are carrying it on, the, on these sort of wooden rods on their shoulders as they walk towards the raging waters. God intended for, for Israel to breach the Jordan with him. But it couldn't be done if they focused on, if they didn't focus on God and if they didn't follow him. And, you know, we know what the big deal of the ark is, you know. It, 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 was, it, it had the stone tablets in there, which God used his finger to write the commandments. They were inside that book. The ark was the sort of Old Testament equivalent to Emmanuel, God with us. When this chest led the way, it meant God was out in front. It meant that they were following God's presence. You know, he would almost take the first steps for them. Even though they were told to put their foot in the river first, God was almost taking the first steps for them. Their task was to follow his lead, to pursue his presence, to come after him. And God was very particular about the distance that was to be kept from the ark. And his reasons were clear. He wanted the whole of Israel, the whole of the Israelites, to see which way God wanted them to go. Um, if the group in front, you know, were crowded too closely, only a handful of them would have seen the way to go, would have seen that God was leading them. And centuries later, as we know, um, the true ark of God would come among us to live in Emmanuel. The ark contained the Ten Commandments. Jesus fulfilled the law. Hebrews 12.2, it calls us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Step back from a situation, from a raging river, and see that you're not alone. You know, the presence of God, it gives us protection, gives us provision. The presence of God, it doesn't just show us the way through, it makes the way through. Consecrate yourself. Planes coming to land now. But before they could get their feet wet um, and cross over the Jordan, Joshua tells them in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And consecrate means to make or declare sacred, set apart or dedicate, to devote or dedicate some, to some sort of purpose. God wanted the Israelites to set themselves apart, to devote themselves to him. And that's what God wants of us today, every day, is to set ourselves apart from this world and dedicate ourselves to him, consecrate ourselves. And if we're facing this raging river in our lives, how are we going to follow God if we're not doing that on a daily basis? You know, how are we doing that if we're not saying to God that all, I, that, all that I am is yours, my body, my strength, my weaknesses, my time, my gifts, my money, my attitude, good or bad, everything I have is yours. Unless we're doing that daily, unless we're even trying to do that daily, 
How is God going to get us through that river? How is he going to use us for his will and purposes? And then we've got to get our feet wet. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, I'm going to read this fast because it's a big passage, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand it up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by it until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In verse 13, Joshua tells the Israelites what God had told him. Basically, as soon as the feet touched the ground, the water would stop flowing upstream. But could you imagine how they might have been feeling. Uh, mainly the priests, because they're the ones that have got to do this toe dip in. Um, actually, the 100,000 Israelites, are, are they're cool. They're just like back here, like, all right, yeah, go on, yeah, dip your toe in it, it's fine. I couldn't imagine being there, the two priests at the front having to dip my toe. They were the ones going into the wild water with this massive box on their shoulder. That must have took a lot of faith. Pure faith. They got to the point where they have to step into the water. And it says the waters disappeared instantly as soon as their foot touched the water. God turned the tap off. But it wasn't right in front of their eyes. Some people say it was about 16 miles up, up the road, up the river. That's where God held the river up in that town. We live by faith and not by sight. How many times can you look back over your life, look back over a situation or a problem or maybe even a complete mess, and you know, you just know, it was God and only God that got you through it. Or out of it. But you don't know how, or when, or why. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes rivers just dry up, and it's like, right, where did that go? You just know that God did it. The God of miracles, the God of signs and wonders from above. And just like the Israelites... At the Jordan, we need to face our fears and see God. Amen. So what do we do when we're, when we're facing the impossible? We do what Peter did when he walked on water. We fix our eyes on Jesus. The minute he took his eyes off of Jesus, he, he realized that that raging sea was around him because he, he'd taken his eyes off of the perfection and author of our faith. He remembered that man can't walk on water. And he started to, started to sink because that faith connection was broken because of his doubt. We all need to focus on the movements of the Lord so that where he leads, we follow. So just to sum it up, face our fears and see God. See how bigger God is in comparison to what we're going through. Take a step back. See that you're not alone. Sometimes we can't see who and what we've got around us um, to support us. Family, friends, spouse, um, our 
children, our church family. You know, and sometimes we don't, unless we take a step back, as I said, we don't see that other people are going through this as well. One, so that you can be a blessing to somebody else if they're going through something you're going through. Also, so that they can be a blessing to you because they didn't even know you're going through it. That's the body of Christ. Pursue God's presence. In God's presence is protection and provision. God's presence doesn't just show us the way, as I said, it makes the way for us. Consecrate yourself. Dedicate yourself to God. Now in this moment, when you get home tomorrow morning, keep consecrating yourself until he comes back and he calls us home. Amen? Amen. And get your feet wet. Don't be scared of water. Even if you're scared of swimming, don't be scared. No, no, no. no. If you can't swim, don't say, don't say in hospital, in intensive care, Adam Boyce at Ecclesia told me to jump in the deep end. That's not what I'm saying. Metaphorically, get your feet wet. Keep that on the tape. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, shall we pray? Loving Father, um, just thank you for this moment. And thank you that we know your power. Um, and I pray, Lord, that as we leave out of this, this place today, we'll continue to know your power and your presence in our life. Lord, give us strength. Lord, give us courage. Lord, give us faith to pursue you, to step out, get our feet wet, trusting that only you are going to stop that raging water that is facing us right now. And we're going to walk across following you into that promised land. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his everlasting loving peace. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.